Let's try to imagine. Let's actually just accept, like, what we're stepping into is outside of that paradigm. It has to be, because you're absolutely right. Like, the off, like that's a big part of it. Like, that is a movement. That is definitely, like, part of this movement, those that are moving off-grid. But that's not the solution. Like, that's the, that's the, that's the weathering the storm. And this is the friggin' beauty. Is like every single person, like let's say they weather the storm, they're not like their grandparents from 1830 who just moved out, you know, and, and they're like trying to figure out what to do now that they're out in, in, in the middle of rural nowhere because they have an understanding of reality which is modern and contemporary. If you made it out, you've shown courage, you've shown the ability of foresight, you are probably like shown like like all of these amazing things, creative and what what happened what happens what happens then Uncle Mike. Is this you, Mark? <laughs> Back again. Back again. You can't even do that anymore because, like, like it doesn't even have a name. This is how far things have changed. Like, there used to be a name to the thing that I'm referring to. But now it's become so ubiquitous that it doesn't even have to be named anymore because it's part of the, the thing it is. Okay? And I'm talking about telephone calls and I'm talking about caller ID. Like, there's once upon a time, there's no such thing as caller ID, and the phone would ring, and you had no idea who was calling. And then caller ID came out, and then it was like, wow, that's friggin' awesome. It's caller ID, but the phones are all like, you'd have a regular wall phone, and have like a little digital sort of thing in the handle, and you could see the number. But now, with the, the smartphones, and they've been around for so long, like, you know everybody's calling. You know? It's, it's, they're in your contact book. So, that's always gone. For me, at least. Right, or at least, at the very least, you know maybe what area code they're in or not in. But yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced a world without phones with caller ID. I think the earliest memories of me using a phone was call it. You know, the phone had a screen of some sort. So, like, just like even think about that. Like, you're at home. You don't have a. So, can you even think about not having a cell phone? And having just a phone on the wall. Oh yeah, with the cord. So you you remember all that? That's part of your. Experience. I didn't get a, a phone until after high school. So okay. even okay. though there were people in my high school who had phones, it was still like the ra- still- razor phone, flip phone, right, right. not and quite it, the it was, touch screen yet. Gotcha. Okay. So back in the time before the phones, and you had the a regular wall phone, like the phone would ring. And it was like always kind of a big deal. Because <laughs> you never, like, who's calling? And particularly, like, I guess the, the switchover probably happened in my 20s. I think that's when caller ID, maybe a little bit sooner than that, maybe, maybe in my late teens, but definitely through like uh, age 10 to through all of like the early teen years, when I was probably like when the phone was a really big deal, like, you know, you're, 
could be a friend, it could be a girl, it could be like whatever. So like there's always this kind of excitement of like the parents would have like different sort of like things. It was it was a different time. I guess I'm being nostalgic tonight. That's fine. I welcome that. I you know, I grew up with stories of my grandparents reminiscing about living, you know, on a farm in rural Canada. So they didn't, you know, they weren't really tech savvy themselves. So it was sort of like going back in time, visiting them. I would imagine if you, if you had, if you had that in your experience, yeah. Like I wonder how many people do have something which, which kind of touches, that touches the, the texture in which how people lived like 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Hmm. I mean, I remember, I can remember being young, like let's say 10 five to 10 sometime in that time frame and being over at my grandmother's house. So this would be in the seventies and I would go see her and she was 70. So she would have been born in the early 1900s and her house had like a lot of old fashioned stuff compared to what I thought was what was contemporary at the time, particularly the phone and the television. And she had this great big like radio, which, which they used when she was a girl before there was a television which was bigger than, than like maybe the size of a small refrigerator. And it was beautifully like decorated, but going to her house, I remember thinking this, I was like, well, what, who are these people? Like, how could they actually have thought this was entertaining? Like looking at the radio. So I imagine I can only, if I'm thinking about that comparing, like I, there was still black and white television. Like we had a color television. We had a black and white television when I was that age. Uh, so we were still close enough in culture that black and white was 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 something you would still have for your entertainment. Like, what do you think someone who's eight today, like, you know, they just think about what the 90s was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's kind of where I was going to pose a question to you is, like, what age do you think people start to feel that nostalgia? And I wonder if maybe because of the changes that have occurred if there's sort of less of an interest now in this time period than there ever was for this sort of like retroactive right, curiosity, right. you know, where people are like, Oh yeah, what was it like when my dad was my age? You know, I think there's a certain age that I hit where I, I was like, I started to become interested in that in a way where it was more than, more than just like the patience to listen, you know, someone tell a story like it was, it was like, oh no, right. I, I was seeking out those kind of stories, you know, from my grandparents and I'd go back and re-ask them the stories that I begrudgingly sat through when I was younger, you know, but I wonder, yeah, what age, like do your boys have those sort of questions or do they seem to be pretty like rooted in the, the now and what's going on in the world now? Well, I, that's a great question. Let me, I want to go back to your original point before we, we get to that. So remind me that about like the boys uh, in a moment. So there are, in my opinion, I see there two different variables that are in play with what you bring up. And first is this quality of when someone, be, when someone gets old and they start to, they have enough experience that they can begin to look back at their life. And they have a fondness of memory, mm. fondness of memory. And I think that's universal. Like if you're like 50, you're going to remember when you were 20, if you're seven, you know, what? If you're 70, you could still remember when you were 10 years old. And there is always an interest. I mean, we talked about this a little bit once before, 
about that relationship between the generation of the child and the grandparent, not the child and the parent, but the child and the grandparent have a very, very special relationship, which is archetypical. And there is a natural curiosity for the child. Like, I mean, just, you know, what was it like? You know, tell me the stories. Like, that, that's part of it. And there's this really nice sort of bond. So that's true. But if you could think about, like, um, what is normal for us in the last hundred years, or maybe even longer than that, who knows, but, but, but the changing of speed of technology. Like, there was once upon a time that the technology you used was the same technology which, which your, your grandparents used. Like, whatever that technology would be, whatever that tool would be, it's the same. But because it changes, there are these, like, there, it, it works in two ways. Like, there's a demarcation in your memory, which is, like, I can remember when there was this and when there, there, there wasn't that. And then there's also, you know, there's that fondness of, of remembering when you were younger. And then there's also the pain of the ass of, like, when you had to learn something new. So, in my opinion, I think it kind of, like, even, like, pipes up. It, 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 it turbocharges this thing which we're calling nostalgia uh, just naturally because like it's changing so fast it's like it really isn't like that anymore right and so i don't know like that that's not necessarily i mean that's just a description of the way it is like not necessarily like you know that's that that's something to be avoided because when you have rapid change that's going to happen no matter what but but that is part of what's happening right now and that is one of the reasons why the, the the market, like the auction market for nostalgia is 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 through the roof, is because people want to hold on to that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. People always find that sort of one peculiar thing that just reminds them of, of you know, that experience they had, whether it's like a a board game or a type of car or, you know, some kind of thing that reminds them of their childhood. But yeah. Now, when it comes to your kids, though, do you notice that they have that curiosity or do you think they're very much in tune with, you know, the, the rapid changes and, and all that? Probably, probably. Uh, I think about this a lot for as long as, for as long as I, I've always been close with them from the very beginning. I've spent in a disproportionate amount, an unusual amount of time with them. And there are things such as a stay-at-home father. But I wasn't really a stay-at-home father because I was I was working out of the home and there was a woman who came and helped with the children. So I spent a lot of time with them, but I did not have the the added pressure which comes if you have like full responsibility for the child all the time. I just got to spend a lot of I guess that's the definition of quality time. I spent a lot of quality time with my boys from the moment they were born, really until I moved out of that house when they were eight or nine, like in or that sort of time frame. But the point being is like I've been immensely conscious in how I want to share information and, and you know, the little bit of the influence which we have as parents on children. Um, I 
took that or I, I was very purposeful, you know, whether that was the right thing, you know, but I was very purposeful in how I interacted with the boys. So that being said, like, I've talked to them about stuff like this since as long as they could, they could, they could understand words. And I'd always do it in age appropriate, or at least what I would attempt to be age appropriate, consciousness appropriate to them. I'll tell you a quick story before I go and I'll answer your, your actual question. But I remember I used to pick them up from school when we used to, when they were in early childhood at the, at the local Waldorf school. And we would drive back and it was this really kind of, it was like, I don't know, like a 20 minute car ride. It was along this Amish sort of road, considered kind of a busy road in Lancaster, but probably anyone who lives in a more populated area would think of it as more of a, a backcountry road. But anyway, whenever we passed the cell phone towers, I would always explain to them about how they're robot communicators. And I would, I would kind of like, I would make it fun. I'd be like, yes, they're like, you know, they're people and they're like robots and this is what controls them. And like, this is how they communicate. And I, they're like 10 years old at this time. And I'm thinking in my mind, like I'm, I'm creating an understanding how they can understand how like electromagnetic frequency and stuff. And I'm talking to it in such a way. So maybe about, Six months later, maybe it was a year later, but they were at a different developmental stage at life. My oldest son, like, and I stopped talking to him about that for whatever reason. My oldest son was like, yeah, remember we used to talk about the the, the, the robot communicators? They used to really freak me out. <laughs> so, like, so they've got an interesting sort of background. When I when, when I heard that, like, I definitely took the, the, the foot off the gas a little bit. I already thought it was off. But I, I talk to them a lot about just the comparison of what it was like when I was their age and, and points of reference, like, like the type of phone and internet and just like real, real basic sort of stuff, like how cable TV worked and then what it was like before there was even cable TV and just like pointing out like this continuity and this change, how they, they kind of meet that and understand that I'm not really certain because they're they're both very introspective. Uh, neither one of them are free with their tongue. You know, in a lot of ways, to be like, wow, it's, it's, they they're almost the antithesis of me in some ways. And so I don't exactly know how they understand it, or but they are, you know, they're they're part of this world, and so they're they're part of they're. They were born at this time, and so there, there's part of them that has to interact with this world for whatever reason, and because the truth is self-evident, when and here, when and where they were born, and you know, I kind of say that for myself because there was a time which which that was that was a, a question for me, a com like it was complex, like I'm like, how do I meet that? If I know this, or if I understand technology the way I do, how could I be in an integrity? with with my my sons interacting with them and that was hard for me for a little bit but I, I I've come to a place where that makes where where that is is makes more sense to my my understanding of, of what this kind of transition in time looks like so so I don't know how they see it they're engaged they like to act, they like to hear the story but I'm not certain what how that goes inside. Right. 
I just, I feel like my generation was, and I, I'm glad you, you shared that because I'm very curious, you know, it's hard to relate with people that are younger than I've noticed maybe a year or two than me in some cases. And, I, you know, I spent time at, uh, <clears throat> at this fraternity for a period of time. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. Have I ever told no, you about no, my... You never... You never told me about your fraternity experience. I, I, this is this is shocking, Mark. I, 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 you, I, where, where is this going to go? Yeah. So I, I'm I'm hoping you're not picturing like me doing keg stands, like you know, at a football game, because that's not really the type of fraternity we were. Although plenty of those types of guys were a part of it, but no, it, it was sort of like a. I, I bring it up because on the tail end of my, you know, time there, it was mostly younger dudes because that's just how the place works. You know, you cycle out the old guys, cycle in the new guys, and then eventually you start feeling like, ah, I got to get the heck out of here. I'm too old. So, but I did notice that in those, like those brief few months that, that there was this kind of weird gap between me and, and people that were really only a couple years younger than me but because they had grown up with social media like Snapchat, Instagram, and like the ones that kind of came out after I was already out of high school, because they'd, you know, been through high school with those social media apps, I almost felt like they socialized differently. Like they related to one another differently. Not that, you know, not to just, you know, to talk down on them or anything as if like, my generation's any less guilty of this type of thing, but but there's definitely like a a deeper immersion right, with social right, media right. that I noticed that just wasn't quite with my group of you know my age group and and older. We you know there was a lot of folks that kind of got into video games, but I think video games were sort of like when I was young, video games were still at a level where like you could tell they weren't real, you know, like there was a very big sense of like, this isn't real. But as, mm -hmm. as time went on, you know, these games start to look more and more real. And I, you know, again, guilty of it myself. I remember being very addicted to like those open world video games where, you know, we would, you would just kind of be able to take your character or, you know, wherever you wanted in the, in the realm, I felt like, oh, wow, here's the freedom that I don't have in my real life <laughs> as, as my current position in society as a high school student. But, you know, it was definitely, it was definitely interesting to like notice that difference still being kind of in it myself, but yeah, over the, sorry. No, please. I was, it's all right. I was going to say, I've sort of gone exactly in the opposite direction in the past two or three years I just you know completely abandoning tv altogether and video games as well so wow you, you know that's that's what we just heard was was feet of the street reporting <laughs> right like it's easy for me to have like i have a, a perspective just purely through experience like anyone who's of a certain age they have a perspective that just comes from being alive longer than someone else. You know, that's, that's, there, there's something which they get to see that someone does not, you know, and I guess it depends on the, the, the person whether or not they've been looking. But regardless, 
I don't have, but from that distance I have, I can see trends, but I can't really appreciate some of the nuance which you just described. And in my opinion, you really, you pointed out something very fascinating. And I always like to talk about like, there are these, these markers, there, there are these markers in technology. Like when you think about social media, the, the, when social media, Facebook and, and, and I guess even MySpace, like, you know, that was a marker, what it was like before then. And then where that meets an individual and depending on the younger they are, the, the stronger the impact you have identified in a group which theoretically should be kind of seamless with you because of your age, but you are seeing a very, very clear demarcation. And because that's normal, that's not normal, or that's not common, where, where someone who is less than 10 years older than someone and they're at least post-adolescent, like, there shouldn't be that big of a, a disconnect. Because the technology hasn't changed so quickly nor so drastically, but apparently it has. I can, um, I can think of two very distinct shifts. The first one being the touchscreen, and that was like right after I left high school. I remember I got a you know sort of phone with a touchscreen or, or like an when, eye. When you say touchscreen, are you meaning like a smartphone? Essentially, yeah. I mean, there were there were blue like a BlackBerry smartphones before that, but you know, people. I don't know. It, what I'm sure you have seen those, but it's sort of like you know a keyboard on a phone. Right, right. That that's not that's not the shift. It was when the apps went. Right. It was like there was the that was when it was like they gave the delivery device. That was like the the that's why I was asking about where you went in terms of of a touch screen because the delivery device device was like first like the BlackBerry, then the touch screen, and then the iPhone was the one that really called on. But there really weren't that many of the apps. But when the app hit and the delivery device was in people's hands, right. that like something happened then. Right. Like something major. That's that was that's like crack cocaine in the bottle. That's but, the And and this is this is kind of like in uh, another sense, a similar shift, which is like the shift from like video games that take you through a, like a sort of narrative to this okay. sort of shift to video games where, you know, you have like a free open world environment. And they kind of had this going on with like the, the role-playing games, like the RPG games and whatnot. But this was sort of, this was sort of like the next step in my opinion. And then you really sort of just, can you walk, can you walk me through like what the old game, like a sim, I don't, I've never played any of these video games. I don't know, that is, but I'm familiar <laughs> that they exist. So I'm like wondering, like, is this, are you talking, is like Minecraft, like really that vehicle or is it like, you know, I know Sims, wasn't that like a big game? Like, how does that, how did those titles tie into that, that well, general description you just painted? Yeah. You just named two pretty big open world games. So, I, so those are open world games. Yeah. Meaning like the character, whoever you are in the game, you have many different options at any given time as to where you can, you know, you can take do whatever action. you want. Yeah. And it, it, got it, could, more freedom. it could vary from like types of games where you have sort of more of a creative role and there's just open ended 
creative things you can do. And then there's sort of the more of like a choose your own adventure type storybook. Whereas initially video games were more like just a storybook where like your character would kind of have to meet each challenge that faced him in each part of the story, you know, beat the video game, get the high score. You sort of saw that dynamic of like who gets the highest score, who beats the game the fastest shift to this sort of like, you know, having an identity in this realm, you know, like you're in the realm, you right, act right. as the character, you know, that there's, sort of shift. There's a shift that goes from you're playing Mario, right? Right. Like, oh, look, there's Mario and and I'm playing him. He's doing what I'm doing. I'm like doing all these like, you know, movements with my hands, these monkey movements and like Mario's doing it. And then something happens and then, oh, that's not Mario. That's me. Right? Is right. that kind of what happened with this, with the video game movement? Right, right. It's like if Mario all of a sudden stepped out of the race car in Mario Kart and, like, went home and went to sleep and then woke up the next game, day and, like, picked his own car. You know, like, the, it's... So, so yeah. but, well, well, I'm talking more so from the consciousness perspective mm, of right, the right, player. Right, right, right. So, as the player... Oh, like, yeah, when yeah, When the video definitely. games first came out... Like there was a, a very clear demarcation in in the in consciousness, in, in awareness that what I'm looking at is not me. I'm separate. That's another character. Like it's literally right. like I, I'm thinking of, of play I'm literally thinking of playing what's called Donkey Kong, which which was where Mario came from, like in the arcade, like in, in like seeing that and all you see is the profile of this character in these arcade games. And then at some point, and there's a really clear, like, I'm playing a video game which, like, 10 years earlier, like, all they're doing is playing Pong. So it's like, this is like a drastic jump in quality and enmeshment. Hmm. And so then the next big thing in consciousness was when, just as you're saying, like, this, these, this one, you get to create your own kind of character. Well, first you play a character and you're seeing it from the first person. But then you get to create your own character, have a little bit more of skin in the game, like a little bit more of your own creativity. Right. So your consciousness is beginning to blend into it. Right. And this is where Which, the term avatar comes into this sort of thing. And that's how avatars right. kind of taken. You know, now the social media platforms use that term like, oh, this is your avatar, you know. And this is, and it's this, this blending, it's this blending, which is kind of like there was, there was at least a disconnect. People loved video games in the 80s, but there was a disconnect. And conscious-wise, you are not blended with it. Like, it's easier to walk away. But the more it pulls you in, because the nature of the consciousness is, like, what we're connected to, and the stronger the feedback loop, like, the stronger the link. And so, like, you got the generation of people. Like, so... So those video games came out. That shift comes out. And let's say you're a guy who loves video games, and I came out with the 30. I'm like, oh, this is friggin' awesome. I love this. This is so much better than just the controlling Mario. I feel like this is this is more me. But he's 30 years old, and his, his, his consciousness and psychological structure has been in place for a really friggin' long time. That same game hitting someone who's 7 years old, that same game hitting someone who is 13 years old, 
Well, they're going to be, they're going to still be building those sort of internal structures. So that generation is like, they've got a different connection. Both people could love it. Like, oh, I love that game. But, but there is something different when it hits you at a certain age. And what you're saying, what was the second, what was the second jump, which, which I said, Minecraft is an example. How is that kind of, is that still rev- relevant for game people, gamers? Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Minecraft is like a whole, it's its okay. own community now. I'm sure there's plenty of people. How did it, like, what's that experience? Do you have a character? Are you playing through a character? Is it different than even that? It's it's a little bit nuanced. I mean, you have multiple multiple different sort of uh, like ways you could play the game, but you essentially have like a a guy that's all your own. You sort of like, you know, they call them skins, right? You put a different skin on your guy, and I'm sure depending on what game mode you're playing, there are you know you could either buy it from some store with real money, or you can do something in the game to earn it, right? So. There's sort of that dynamic going on, but it really the emphasis with Minecraft is because you, you see your character from like behind him above its head, you know, you're sort of following your character around as it builds anything and everything with these. Do you basic- ever see your character's face? Oh yeah. You could, I mean, you could like turn the screen around the screen kind of like that. There's like a, God, I'm, been, gonna sound, I'm gonna sound like your grandparents. I'm like, no, it's all right. It's around. it's been. What it, do you mean you turn the screen around? Are you <laughs> it's it's been a while f- since I've played any of these games, but from what I remember, it's sort of like you have a like. Imagine like if you so you were flying a drone behind you, and the drone was right. filming you with the camera, right? But the drone can right. move around, you know, so you right. can sort of see your so face. So you can yeah. do that. You can do that. Well, and, and like I said, the emphasis is on building, so the camera is, you know, sort of designed right. to look all over the place, so you can... Right, you're looking out. Right. You have no reason to look at your face. You have the capability to, but I would imagine that doesn't happen frequently. Like, that defeats, like, what you're doing, correct? Right. Right, okay, and and okay. this is kind of like an even more nuanced version of what I was talking about before. Because although Minecraft, yes, is an example of like an open world game, it's kind of a step beyond that. Because unless I'm just unfamiliar with the gaming, which is definitely true, I'm almost certain Minecraft's like the first one where you can kind of build the way that you do with you know pretty much free reign. It's like it's a lot of fun. I don't know. I, Definitely right. was one of the games that I got addicted to that made me just like quit the whole thing altogether. But but yeah, it's it's interesting, like the open so world you, you sort of it. concept. The the open world concept. So think about this in consciousness. So now now you, we're already like I don't know whenever like the real first person experience games and and the ways to to individualize the character which you're playing like all of those were really to bring you into this this is becoming more and more real you've got more skin in the game and so that's that's taken hold and then you are given the 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 very narrow track in which you play your game has been opened up right has been opened up and then, like, the, and now it's like you are allowed to unleash your creative potential, right? I mean, certainly within the confines of the game. So now, like, anything a human being releases their, 
their creative energy, their imagination, their, their, their like, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, there's, there's a strong connection with it. So Minecraft, which is, which is, you know, really interesting double or triple tundra of a name, it has that. But then it seems like there is immense behavioral connotations as well, just like the buying and the selling of the real world with the, with the artificial world and the blending of the two. And then when you go and you add in the last piece of this puzzle, or like to bring it full circle about the generation of the, of the people who, who you're saying that, that they just seem to be they socialized differently. You know, and, and you'd be like, of course, like all of this energy and time, which used to go, like left in a different way, like what would have happened would be, it would go to more human interaction. It went to something else. And that's just the way human beings are. Like if you weren't around any, if you were grew up in a very sparse, rural, natural environment, you probably would have that type of relationship with the natural world as you do with the with the the computer world like the the mechanism of being human being and, and having consciousness and and connecting to something like that's just going to happen to no matter what but that's really what that's what, what what you witnessed is like this is this is what it looks like what what time of was this pre-covid when you were in this fraternity oh yeah yeah this was this was back in 2015 14 16 wow. so, around then so so you've got you've got children so imagine if you were born anyone who was born probably like 2000 and 2017 or later you know someone who would be right now what would that five-ish five or younger having been born through all of this because that's a re this is a really really the younger you are the more, the stronger the impression, you know, the imprint which the environment makes on the, the shaping of consciousness. So if you were born on this, particularly if you were a newborn and you were constantly around people wearing masks, mm. right? right? So imagine that. I would imagine that's pretty common, right? Because if, if, if you're around a newborn, there tends to be a, uh, a natural sense of like, you know, I want to be extra careful like around this newborn. Mm -hmm. And then if you think that there's something going on and you think this is going to go and make the newborn safe and mom's going to be like, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I don't want anyone touching my baby, but, but okay, you definitely got to have like all this stuff on. The point is that baby isn't seeing the most basic structuring of at least socialization of what human beings have ever received before. And that's just like the, 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 the facial, the facial movements when someone communicates, like a baby takes that in and it reads it and that imprints in how they know how to relate. doesn't matter what it is. That's what the imprint's going to be like. Oh, the old story or like the example of the the duck that the first thing it sees is a person and thinks it's his mother and it follows it around. Like, you know, there's a truth to that within humans. It's not that extreme, but there's, there's an importance of imprint, of being, of imprints. 
And our most basic inference is social, as social beings, comes from the faith. And so this whole generation of, of, of children, they, they haven't seen that during this very, very key developmental period. So if you are describing that you're noticing a difference, and this is five, six years ago, that you noticed it, and we know everything is just even more drastic up until like March 20, 2020, you know, when, when the, the national, when the national declaration was made of the emergency, like it's gotten even more intense. And so the question I wonder is, and I try to look at this from a really, really, from a broad perspective, is like, well, what, what's the impact? What's, what, what, what's going to be the impact on those human beings and those children? Hmm. Right. And, and so, and I don't necessarily mean that in a, like they're going to be damaged, like that sort of thing, because that, that assumes that I'm comparing, I am comparing their future to be similar to the, the life I experienced. Hmm. I'd be like that. Right. But, I know that's not going to be true. I know that that 10 years from now is going to look so friggin' different from right now. Well, check and that's this the only out. thing. Let, let me finish this and then, and then I want to hear this. So it's going to look so different. We don't know what it's going to look. And that's half the fun of this is because I think we're creating. We don't have to. It doesn't have to be the, the story that's being created. But that human being that still has not been, been properly, you know, quote unquote, properly conditioned for the facial like you know that facial socialization something else has happened within them mm. like there, there something else is going on and how does that meet the new world and how would that meet the new world in a way which is immensely harmonious so that's that's kind of how i approach it but i'm being i think we need to be very honest with what's going on so now you're going to say joe check this out i just want to finish that thought well yeah no so on the point of faces being covered we were driving my car the other day <laughs> right before the actually after the transmission went out on us and as we were being towed home you know sort of a gloomy day looking out the passenger window of this tow truck this guy who actually reminded me of andre mighty shout out to andre mighty host of the ascension of the chessmen podcast a really kind soul and that was a, a big relief. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that before where you're kind of in a in a shaky situation and somebody comes and helps you out and they remind you of someone you know. That that was sort of odd, worth noting. But that's not why I brought this up. We were driving by this highway billboard and on this person's face was this big like VR helmet like supposed to be just over the eyes you know kind of looks like you know what they've been making superheroes kind of look like lately and it says underneath be unstoppable and then you know an advertisement for whatever vr company stop you know sponsored that but just think about that be unstoppable they're, they're projecting that message to people that in virtual reality you're unstoppable well, yeah. in this reality, we're going to kick down your door and look through your house. And you're not even going to know it because you're going to be so entertained. Well, it, I mean, it's it's there. It's happening on both ends. It is making it's making people. You know, I'll use the word terrified of being a regular person with challenge and and 
and and you know really embracing life as as in like an adventure that has been that's been more or less stolen you know that's no longer a value in society society is completely the opposite every you know we want to go and and make everything as convenient and as non-threatening as possible if that's a movement that's what's happening you grow up in it like without saying like that's a good thing or a bad thing that's what's happening and so if you grow up in this these are the values of the time and so like you know we naturally become the values of the time so it's like the idea of being unstoppable comes from can only come from a an environment where there's something trying to stop you. Which means like, oh, you're gonna have like challenges. Yeah, we were we were challenges. driving through the lovely city of Meriden where there's plenty of challenges. But but there there this is the this is the the like the Sarcastically key. speaking. Right. <laughs> There, the tweak is 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 that on one hand they are saying that you're never going to be like unstoppable like that doesn't even make sense like there you you know this is not a place or an environment the outer world the real world it, like thinking about being unstoppable like that's just uh, you don't want that you want to be safe you want to go and wear your mask and 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 we don't want to get sick and you don't want to do this and like oh my goodness the children and then at the same time. There's been this slow, there's a slow, almost like a seduction, like a, a generational seduction, probably beginning with my generation because that's when the at-home video game console became, was first introduced to, to, to the people. But then like slowly and slowly, it's been making it more and more like awesome. They're like everything you can imagine you can do right here. And this is where you're going to be unstoppable in this world, which already feels safe, which already feels like, okay, like this is, this is fantastic. At the same time, if you wanted to do anything on the outside, you're being conditioned like, oh no, you don't want to do that. It's just too scary. You can go back there. Like this is, there is a generation which is getting that squeeze. I mean, everyone's getting that squeeze, but the younger you are, the more, the more it can take hold or at least take hold of some. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, what you said about 10 years from now being drastically different. I do not doubt that at all. I mean, especially in light of my recent conversation with David Icke, you know, somebody who has been talking about this sort of agenda 21 stuff for a while and seems to be right, you know, on everything that's happened, but it was definitely a, Sort of, you know, we we revisited a lot of the things he's been right about over the years. I mean, that's seemingly coming, right? but there's there's something else which has happened as well. If you don't go down that that that, if you're not sucked down that that vortex, hmm. but in order to not be sucked down that vortex, you have to do the exact same. You have to do the exact opposite of what you know, all of the the large scale conditioning is, which is like, you know, you can't you can don't take risks, don't be adventurous, don't be courageous, don't put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Don't find out what you're made. You know, that's 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 like, you know, that is the barrier. And if you move past that barrier, I mean, I think that's what uh, that's <laughs> the, the that world is happening too. 
I mean, I would imagine that's the sort of person who's listening to this podcast. They're either, you know, it's a continuum. You know, what we're, what, what's happening is there is a recognition of what's going on, that this is really go- occurring, and then what am I going to do about it? And that's happening right now. It's unfolding in real in real in real time. Right. And the the black swan event, the black swan event is the guy is you know the guy who helps you that you don't expect. Can you explain that? So, so, like when the world is 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 run by criminals who appear under the guise of good people the good person who saves you might appear in the guise of a criminal is that what you're saying i mean more so like this the, the system is is doing something like some sort of implosion and 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 techno jail cell like you know that's what all like that's what all of the people have been talking about that since david ike has been telling people like telling them about it right and that's undoubtedly happened it's kind of disempowering, right? Yeah. Huh. Huh. Am I, do I got to go put on this VR headset and, and go, like, Amazon's going to be going to a mall. Like, you know, you're going to have a, that's their, like, people are going to laugh at how people used to buy on Amazon, like, with this two-dimensional screen, just like people would laugh at Donkey Kong compared to, like, whatever the, the most realistic video game is, right? All that's happening. That's gonna, whatever's going to happen with that's going to happen with that. But there's something else that seemingly happens as well. And it is this continuum of people who see that's happening and they're like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to move away from this. I'm not going to feed it. I'm not going to look at it. Because I've got other stuff i got to do and i got to get off of that. And that is the adventure. That is the courage. That is all of these things like where you need to feel unstoppable not necessarily unstoppable at every given moment, but there will be moments when you do. And so that kind of, that energy, that quality is like, it's, it's, it's a self, it's, it's, it's a self created sort of experience or unfolding that we're seeing. Like the only way you do not get pulled into that downward, uh, vortex is you have to move out of it and the way to move out of it is going to take like in an experiential way you're going to have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations and it has to be different for each person like that's how deep we are into the system like one way or the other we are like whatever each person's worst fear is like to a degree that's going to have to be faced but that is the, the going through that process is exactly what's needed to get away from it. And then that is the quality which is a requirement in order to go and kind of build, discover, whatever word we want to use, the, the, the next reality. Those are the people who are going to be in it. They need to have that energy. Right. And so what I was saying about like the like that's hap- that's happening right now. Like there's no way if you don't if you don't know where you stand in that. Like you know you're probably being you, if you don't even think that's happening, you're probably being sucked down into the 
into the vortexes or this is where I'm going to go. But if you're recognizing, if you're feeling something inside, what am I going to do? You know, how do I, you know, what, what's going to happen? How can, you know, how can you not feel that? You know, you're on this continuum. That's happening. What are you going to do? You're going to go this path or that path. That fork in the road is becoming more and more and more clear. So this is, we are discovering what that means. Like there's no, there's no handbook for this. You know, there's no, there's no ways that are, I mean, actually there are probably plenty of handbooks for this, but it's all an allegorical set, written in allegory. But what's, what's, what, what, what I talked about in the past and what I said is the, the, the black swan event is what aids the, what aids the courageous path, you know, and that is this, this, and I said, when the stranger that you never expect is exactly there when you need it and solves your problem effortlessly, whatever you want to call that, there's a certain level of truth. Like, I mean, they talked about, this is same thing, which is referred to a lot in Appalachian trail or really any sort of like, like, like serious hikers world and trail magic. Like, you know, this, the, the perfect thing comes at the perfect time, exactly when you need it. Like, there's a truth to that. And, you know, the, that's the positive side. And that's why I was saying the whole thing about, yes, I recognize there are a lot of children who are going to be different who were born at this time than other children in the past because they only saw adults wearing masks. But a bunch of those children are going to come into the new world. And so if they're going to be different, if it's going to be a new reality, you can't bring your old self to a new reality. You have to be a different person in a, in a different reality. Otherwise, it's the same, like that's self-evident. So when you begin to see people who have changed, and we, we painted a picture beforehand, like, oh, this horrible generation are going to be addicted to and going to go into the metaverse without a, without a fight. And yeah, maybe there's some truth to that. There are going to be some that don't. And so that's what kind of has me excited. Right. Right. There's definitely this sort of uh, reactionary response of like, no, we need things to go way back to the old ways. And you see people going off the grid and disconnecting and maybe that's a temporary solution, but I don't know. I don't, <laughs> unless you're going to go colonize some, you know, Virgin Island, then. So this is what I mean by, this is what I mean by like, you really don't know because what you just said right now is you tried to picture in your mind stories that you have, you have been told. We've all been told these stories is what we picture. Like, Oh, well, what, what, what's the other opportunity, the other way this looks. And you couldn't really pull from much because those stories have not been painted. When I was saying before, like we really can't imagine, like that doesn't mean like, let's try to imagine. Let's actually just accept like, what we're stepping into is outside of that paradigm. It has to be because you're absolutely right. Like the off, like that's a big part of it. Like that is a movement. That is definitely like part of this movement. Those that are moving off grid, but that's not the solution. Like that's the that's the that's the weathering the storm, right? And this is the friggin' beauty. Is like every single person, like let's say they weather the storm, they're not like their grandparents from 1832 who just moved out, you know, and, and they're like trying to figure out what to do now that they're out in, in, in the middle of rural nowhere. 
because they have an understanding of reality which is modern and contemporary. Yeah. And if you are out, if you made it out, you've shown courage, you've shown the ability of foresight, you are probably like shown like like all of these amazing qualities, creative. And what what happens? What happens? What happens then? So that and, and that's a that's a question not to be answered answered, but just to be like, wow, I don't know what does happen. What could that be? Hmm. Like we're in that space right now. And it sounds sort of like what your idea was with the new, you know, concept you were talking about. I don't know if you and I talked about it on record or not, but, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, documenting those people who are doing things off the grid, giving people an example of what it looks like. Well, and, and I'm not interested so much in off the grid because I think that's been documented a thousand times. I'm looking for like people who are doing things that I've not seen done before. Mm, okay. And so I would say the experience which I'm having right here in Baltimore is the exact example. Like not not like this being replicated a thousand other places, but this being replicated meaning like this is the most authentic, true, real experience in which like everything is supporting an absolute complete like it's almost like it's 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 Supported, and so this is part of like this sort of black swan energy in the fact like this rarity or maybe like maybe more unicorn energy like it's magical. It's there's something about the collapse which is actually fueling this place, this house, this experience, the people who come here, what's mm -hmm. happening here. Right. And so those are the and so like I want to tell the story here, but then something there are other expressions of that same sort of quality of of finding like oh yeah in this sort of way of doing it like i found this it, it's unbelievably elegant here. like i'm in the middle of baltimore in the middle of winter with no heat and this is like i would say one of the most elegant settings i've ever had like the the house and the view of the desk and we're just laughing we're just laughing there were four guys over here last night and it it was so ridiculous because there's no reason the, the four of us should be in the same place together, like based upon our background. But we're sitting outside and it was freezing, but it was beautiful. No one cared that it was freezing. And we're listening to the sound of the, we're listening to the sound of the, of the water below and we're telling stories and we're laughing and we're looking at what's being built in the most amazing setting. This is, this is, this, this is, this is a demonstration of what I was just describing. And I want to, I want to give you a moment to ask if you have any questions about that, but then I want to tell you this great life hack, which I just, which I picked up today to make it even more personal. But before I switch to that, I want to know if you had any thoughts or comments. Well, no, I'm glad you clarified because I, I wasn't quite sure what you meant, but that's definitely a deeper insight there to what I had uh, sort of generally put it as. But no, tell us this brain, this life hack. So, so that is part of the quality of moving through through this time is being able to go 
and recognize what it is that you need or want and being able to to interact in such a way with it that the amount of of friction or the amount of of places which the system can hold on to you is less and less and less and less. Okay? That's what I mean by a life hack. And everything about this house in Baltimore is kind of in the most, and when I say elegant, that means proportional and it's like it's done right and it's everything about it is right. Like this, this, this experience is very much the, of that quality, which I'm calling life hack. And, and so, I've been really inspired, so I came up with that. So, this is my the the hard thing. The, we we've had a little bit of a cold spell the last couple of days, and the hard thing about living here is the fact that there's no hot water, right? Imagine like, I it, can imagine it, that's hard. Yeah, definitely. Being in a house with no heat in the middle of winter and having no hot water, like that's kind of like you know, it's it's not a it's it's you could boil a, water, though. Well, I can't boil water. No. Well, I don't have the, the problem. Is there's not a gas? The there was an issue with the gas hookup. So, so no, no gas stove coming. either. And oh, so man. exactly, we do have a grill. I mean, I guess like I could boil water, but I'm not even certain what you want me to do with this boiling water. Um, <laughs> but but so what I have. I don't want do, you to do anything with it. <laughs> so. So one of the things, like what, like a lot of this experience is like getting comfortable with things that are uncomfortable because that's part of how this downward vortex, which is pulling, pulling everyone in this direction, is one of the ways which they grease the skids is they got everyone hooked on convenience and comfort. Right. And, and there's been like kind of like an antithesis movement, like very stoic and like I'm going to go and fight like the fact that I've been comforted by being as uncomfortable as possible. Like that's kind of like goes back to the whole like, you know, the self flagellation sort of you see in some, some religions. Like but but somewhere in between that is the fact that, you know what, I'm not gonna let uncomfortableness stop me. And so if I have a problem with it, like I learn how to surrender into it. Like, you know, that's, that's kind of like that whole Wim Hof movement, I would say, would fall within that greater description, I would say. Like people who are kind of meeting discomfort and they realize that there's something to it and, and you learn how to meet it. So they're, they're, that's how I've been kind of meeting the shower. Like it's like, and I don't, and I don't like cold water. I don't like cold water. I don't think, I don't think most people naturally like cold water, but I would say, I'm a little bit extreme that way, you know. That's part of that's one of my kryptonites. But I I try to lean into the things which I know that I have a lot of resistance to. So I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, I've got no choice but to take a cold shower. I've got no choice but to take a cold shower because look at the situation I'm in. And I'm like, but look, the situation I'm in. It's the most beautiful setting. It's an outdoor shower. So I've been taking showers outside when I take showers if it gets above 50 degrees. If it's 50 degrees and sunny. I'll go outside and I'll take a shower. All right? Does that sound like fun? Naked, <laughs> outside, it's the best. And I, I still can't get all the way under the water. Like, I'm still almost doing, like, a field shower. 
I, I'll, I'll put my head under, I'll get my hands soapy, and I'll, like a, I'll, wa- I'll wash everything that needs to get washed, and then I'll, like, splash water on me and maybe get, like, my legs under. But, but, like, I'm still, like, I'm still, like, a little baby girl when it comes to that. Like, I'll be the first to admit it. But I'm doing better than I was, like, before. So, anyway, the point of all this, the point of all this is we've been going through this long stretch where it hasn't, I haven't had an opportunity to shower. It's been, like, five friggin' days. And I'm like, Uncle Mike needs a shower. Uncle Mike needs a shower. <laughs> so I go, I go, and I'm like, what, what do people do who like need showers? Like, I'm like, I, I, I'm just gonna, I'm tired of like, I was going up to Pennsylvania and I was showering up there. I'm like, this is not, this is not sustainable. And I didn't like putting people out. And I'm like, I got to come up with a solution to this. I'm like, what do people do? So I go and I read a couple articles. You know, like, ah, you do this, you know. But people are like, who, who live on the road a lot, uh, van life people, stuff like that. And the the top on this one article, the top solution was you go to there's certain gas stations that cater to truckers, and you could go there. They have really nice showers, which you could you could just pay and use. Oh yeah, so like, very familiar. You're, there's one. You're, so you're very, five minutes down the street from my house. Growing up, there was one, and we it, it's it's like one of these truck stops that's also a Wendy's. So you'd go to the Wendy's and you'd hear shower fours ready, and, and you know over the loudspeaker. I mean that's that's a real nice like to that that scene. But I'm like I'm not really in a place for that. So. There's a national gym chain. I'm just not going to, for whatever reason, I'm not mentioning the gym chain. There's a national gym chain. It costs, 20, it costs $10 a month. It's 10 minutes from my house. And I'm like, what? I can do this? And I could go there in the clean showers. And then I realized for $20 a month, I could go and use any, what I could go to any single one of these gyms. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, that's the greatest idea I've ever heard because there's one of these gyms which is right by my my boy's house. I'm like, okay, that's really nice because if I drive out, should have asked me, Mike. I could have told you that. You could have told me this. Uh, That's like a a open mic comedy thing that uh, people do when they're trying to make it in L.A. or or well, not so much New York City, but L.A. They they live in their car and they shower at gyms and they try to get as many spots at comedy clubs as as they can. I just know that from listening to comedy podcasts. So I go there and I'm like, this is meeting, this is meeting my, this is meeting my shower need. This is meeting my, my economic need. It's meeting my, so many of my needs. And I'm, I'm a pretty active, I'm a pretty active guy. And there's once upon a time where I used to go to a gym at least three times a week. Like, for at least a period of 20 years. Like, I like being fit. Like, I'm not a big, strong guy, but I'm always... But I haven't been in a gym since I left the house, which I shared with my boys. I haven't been to, like... Like, like I still do, like, I do different types of things with my body, but I haven't been, like, lifting weights. And so I go into... I go into Planet Fitness today. And I knew I was going to go and shower, and I was like, I'm going to work out. And I went and I worked out with weights for the first time in seven years. Okay. And in this period of time, because I have not had a gymnasium or like a, a place to lift weights 
what I would do with a lot of my, the time I would devote to keeping my physical body fit was much more, I, I put a microscope inside me, been very, very much, much more attuned to what it means to have balance, how the body moves, how I move my body, posture, breath coordination, all that sort of stuff. And so I went and I lift weights for the first time, something I've done my entire life. But now I'm doing it for the first time with this new knowledge, which I've really been cultivating over seven years. And I'm telling you, Mark, I've never had, I've never felt better after a workout in my entire life because I hadn't showered in five days and I hadn't lift weights in, in, in seven years and I don't think I ever knew how to lift weights correctly because now what I'm doing is so is so natural and different. And I'm like that that mark is what I mean by like the black swan life hack. Like it's not just like oh I'm gonna go get a shower for free. But when I solve, when the solution to my immediate need comes and it solves the problem, that it will go and give me gifts which I never imagined could have been coming. So that's what I mean by life. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you said cold shower, I remember really the only time I ever enjoyed cold showers would be after uh, wrestling practice or after martial arts. And not, not so much wrestling practice because we wouldn't shower. We didn't have like a proper shower in our locker room. So, you know, it would be like 30 minutes until I got home before I took a shower just through waiting around for a ride and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, when I was at training martial arts, I would take this motor scooter that I had at that age before I had my license from my house to this dojo place and then come home on like a hot July, you know, evening and take a cold shower. That was always the best. I've, I've never done that. I think I maybe, maybe I've taken a cold shower once in my life, but it's, it's, I think I told you the story when I was down in, in Florida, like the, the, me becoming comfortable in cold water. I think I've a, that, that I have an uncommon aversion to it and I'm slowly slowly trying to find well there, um, there's something about having the heat in your blood from just working out for two hours rolling and sparring and doing all the other things and and then like mix that with the thick humidity that we get in new england in july and august and yeah cold shower is the best the best remedy but yeah, no, I recently. Get like, I get it intellectually. <laughs> yeah. So so this is so what I'm describing to you right now has absolutely nothing to do with like physical reality. Right. Because my aversion and, and I'm I'm putting this out because uh, this is how we all are. We probably all have a thing which I'm just describing with water. My aversion to the cold water is outside of just like, you know, a little bit of physical discomfort. My aversion is something like I have a, I have like a, an anchor. I have a hook to cold water, whatever that may be. Like as soon as you can go and see like, like what, how you're responding to something is outside of, of, of what is like, what is normal. Then you're like, okay, well, I'm working with something deeper. 
The cool thing is when you're working with something deeper, which you can identify, like cold water, this cold water thing, like whatever I'm getting comfortable with with it, is connected to a thousand other things. How do I know that? Because that's just how our consciousness works. So if you've got one thing which has, which you have a, a, a resistance to, and if you lean into it, you know, you're just gentle with yourself. People, what gentle is is different for each person. Well, then, then its impacts are, are exponential. It's not just like, oh, now you can take a cold shower. It's, it's whatever, whatever that was connected to has been, has been, if not dissipated, at least it no longer runs the show. Right. Well, had we talked about the Skull and Bones tour yet? Not to change subjects. Didn't we talk? We talked about the Skull and Bones tour on the uh, last show. But what was it before or after I did it? I think it was. It was after. It was after you did it. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Because you you mentioned people who listened to the show, and I think I forgot to tell you that the guy who showed up that uh, we that I wasn't familiar with because everyone else who showed up is either a podcaster supporter or Tara and uh, well, they're all friends at this point but the other guy he uh, he was like yeah I was hoping Michael Wan would be here because I put you in the ad I said uh, in like the meetup <laughs> page I said Michael Wan may show up dot 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 and he was like I was hoping Michael Wan would be here I was listening to some podcast he does called your handbook for the apocalypse and or I think he he called it Susquehanna alchemy because that's the name of the podcast feed but it was clear by the way he talked about it that he had no idea that I'm also the co-host on this show <laughs> so when you told him that you were the co-host what did he say I didn't I just let him say what, what did he... you tell? <laughs> well I I just I just felt like I just felt like there were other things to to talk about i didn't i didn't also want to just be like oh well yeah that's me you listen to because he was like yeah i tried listening to it but i couldn't follow what they were talking about <laughs> so it wasn't the most flattering comment but he felt comfortable telling me not knowing that i was uh the person that he was listening to so that's interesting i don't know, maybe my voice on the podcast sounds different than in person uh, we it, you I would. It's surprising that he wouldn't. I'm, 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 I'm left speechless. But I'm glad he came. I'm certainly glad he came, and and uh, and you gotta, you got to, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta meet him. Indeed. Well, and the reason I thought of that is because Jay, the the other person that showed up, who has his own podcast, he brought, you know, camera and recording equipment he just sent me a video that he took on the tour so that's pretty cool oh that sounds fantastic yeah i'm checking that out right now but oh and then the day after i talked to peter shampoo again i don't know if we talked about that at tell all tell me about that how did that go it was great what was that about like I... you had another 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 interview with him or he just called up to just like catch up with mark Oh no, I, I have not had the honor yet of of that. But no, I invited which him. Which one? Both of those would be honors. Right, right, right. He was scheduled for the day I planned the walking tour. He 
scheduled that before. Then I had him rescheduled to the next day. So we spoke on the 23rd. It was great. It was a podcast. I asked him to be on my show again because I wanted to revisit some of the things in light of, you know, everything I've been learning. And he's got such a, you know, base of knowledge that we definitely couldn't cover it all in the first conversation. So yeah, it was great. He told me about some things that he's doing recently with the Lakota tribe to a sort of basically bring peace to the disinterned remains and also the spiritual relics that were taken from the site where the wounded knee massacre took place. That's right. Up, this is right up what, what you've been talking about. So, well, and that's exactly what I found so fascinating because Jay, the guy who just sent me this video, he he mentioned while we were on the walking tour, he's like, oh, I just had Peter Shampoo on my podcast. The episode will be out soon. And I'm like, no kidding. I'm supposed to have him on again tomorrow. So there was sort of that link. And then the, the gentleman who I just mentioned, he was familiar with from somewhere else, I guess, seemingly this ley line that goes through New Haven. He was like, isn't there a, a ley line that connects New Haven and New York City and all these other places? And I was like, absolutely. And I told him about Peter Shampoo and how he, he calls it the city ley line. But when we were talking, Peter and I, on the podcast, we kind of revisited a lot of that. I asked him to kind of explain how the Masons were involved with that. And then that sort of led to him talking about the wounded knee thing before we ended the conversation. But yeah, I found it like, you know, in total resonance with, with what's going on and you know, what's even stranger. So <laughs> there's a reservoir in Massachusetts called the Quabbin Reservoir. It's like this huge, huge lake. It's the biggest lake in Massachusetts. It, I think next to Lake Champlain, it might be like the second largest lake in New England, but and possibly other lakes in Maine might compete with that, but it's a huge lake, and it's kind of in alignment with the 72nd line of longitude, I think. I'm almost certain that that's like the, the ley line that kind of connects where we're at, but it also connects with a lot of the places in South America, which I think is fascinating considering... You know, your history with that, you've been to South America a couple times, if my understanding is correct. One time? Okay, one time. One time. But I talked about it so much, you'd think that I've been <laughs> a thousand times. No, well, we, we, I don't think we've talked about it enough on this show, but but yeah, either like way. Right. It, uh, go on, go on. I'm sorry. That's all right. It, and, you know, so the relics, just like, you know, we have this sort of Geronimo skull being taken from... The, from the Midwest and being brought out here to the tomb, you have this wounded knee massacre relics and remains being taken to a museum near the Quabbin Reservoir in Massachusetts, which, which Peter sort of puts it like the, the city ley line that we were talking about was referred to in the early colonial days as Satan's axes because everything beyond that point was considered, you know, like unsettled, wild, you know, unsettled territory. But it, it's interesting. Maybe that's the the sort of idea with that is they're taking the relics from those areas and bringing them to places that have already been thoroughly colonized to sort of bring that energy here. 
I walk me through that. I didn't really follow that, but like bringing it, bringing it here for what reason? So bringing the the relics to the other side of quote unquote Satan's axes in this sort of mystical war for the spiritual inheritance mm. of the continent from the original inhabitants onto the colonizers. Not that they were, I mean, any, any one inhabitant is original in the truest sense of the word original, but, but you know what I'm saying, like with mm -hmm. the, the Native Americans being displaced, that sort of has a, at least this is, I don't want to say Peter says this directly, and he sort of probably says it in a much more eloquent way, but that was sort of the goal of, of these Masons, was to take the country from the Native Americans, and they use this sort of spiritual landscape magic for lack of a better term yeah but it's just yeah. interesting this i guess my point in saying all that before was just the connection between the skull and bones proximity and the quabbin reservoirs proximity to the 72nd parallel i believe or i'm sorry 72nd uh line of longitude let me just make sure i'm correct on the number is there another word for it, like how latitude and parallel? Is there like a another word for longitude? I just thought of yeah. I was kind of racking my mind for that. <laughs> Glad you noticed that. No, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. A meridian, maybe. I think meridian would be it. Sorry. So the seventy-second line of longitude. I think that's the line of meridian. So. Either way, get get lost with the numbers sometimes. But Peter had some really excellent things to add to that conversation. So, so tell me if my memory is correct that that when you called him to be on a podcast, like that was kind of a new thing for him, right? Right, right. Yeah, I, I addressed that at the beginning of our conversation. I was like, hey, uh, i seen you've been doing the rounds, you know. How's that going? And he was like, oh, yeah, thank you, <laughs> you know. Exactly. In other exactly. words. That, that's what I want to point out. Like, you, you, you made that happen. That's, 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 like, that's, that's effortless action for Peter. Well, and, and on that note, you know, with that in mind, I, I tried to seek out a guy who we've both sort of talked about his work in the past few episodes, Mark Pinkham, right? The, the Return of the Serpents of Wisdom book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did find that he had only one other, similar to Peter, one other podcast appearance, but really not in our world of, of the podcasting sphere, a big podcast, but definitely I'm pretty sure that was the only one recent one. So I want to try to get in touch with him because he seems to be working on something altogether different in Sedona, too different, but yeah, very interesting stuff. There's like this Red Rocks Canyon down there in Sedona where he posits that temple once existed that now has been deformed to the point where people sort of, they visit and they're like, yeah, this kind of looks like a temple, but archaeologists and the such are like, no, these are just rocks that look that way. But his theory is that it was an ancient temple that has been, you know, sunken underwater many, many, many times. And there's plenty of geological evidence to support that, you know, Arizona and 
the surrounding area has for some period of time been underwater. So that's wild. Yeah. So that's what he's working on more recently, but I, I definitely would love to, to make that connection with him too and kind of keep, keep that going. I mean, speaking of another guy who had hadn't very many interviews until recently, Michael Hoffman, I just saw was on a friend of mine. He's been on my podcast before. He's a part of Alt Media United, William Ramsey. I don't know, maybe he heard my conversation or maybe saw, who knows? I'm not going to take credit because William is, is, <laughs> is, well, I'll tell you what, William is prolific. Like I, 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 you know, I put my hat in the ring. I said, William, you know, if you ever need me to book for you, you know, and he was like, oh yeah, sure. Send me anybody you find my way. And, you know, and to be honest, like he is so fast with the like guests that he gets, like usually the people that I find and I'm like, oh, William might, might be interested in this guy. He's already interviewed them. So, but William interviewed Michael Hoffman on March 3rd of this year. And I, I listened to the interview and I was pleasantly surprised, relieved, and I'm really looking forward to talking to him because he sounded co- absolutely contrary to like everything that that other podcast was kind of suggesting but i i don't i don't know if they really suggested that to the degree that i interpreted it maybe they were more focusing it on that guy william grimstad but either way i did get a little sort of worried but after hearing him on william ramsey i'm like no this guy sounds brilliant i mean he he spoke to ted kaczynski i mean that was one thing that i was just blown away to hear William and him talk about I'm sure it's mentioned in Twilight language but I haven't gotten to that book yet but yeah uh, Michael Hoffman when he was a journalist he he spoke with Ted Kaczynski on one occasion and then attempted to speak with him again but the I think either the defense lawyer for his case or the prosecutors tried to basically bar anyone from talking to him hmm that's wild but yeah, so Michael Hoffman listened to that last night. Very, very surprised, and I'm excited because I definitely want to ask him about Ted Kaczynski. Because Sam Tripoli often quotes or says the the quote, "The Unabomber was right," and I'm like, Ah, Sam, I don't know if you should say that. Michael Hoffman had some interesting things to say about Ted it's, Kaczynski. So it's funny. You were uh, earlier today. I was I was pulling together a pulling together some slides for what's going to become a presentation. It's going to be called Neo-Luddite and Prophet Mode. And so I was pulling, uh, just like, you know, getting some pictures for some slides. And I saw all of these, these quotes and was talking about examples of Neo-Luddites. And Ted Kaczynski was used. And it had a whole bunch of, like, usually if you see any quotes from the, from the, the, the Unabomber Manifesto, they call it, it, they're really long. Like they're not like they're, they're they're maybe paragraphs, and often if I'm going to see that, if I'm not in the mood for it, I'm like, I'm going to feel like reading a wall of text. But these were like really really short, easy like bullet point lines, and I was like, this is freaking genius. And then I was like, huh, do I want to just go because all of these points are in alignment with kind of what the 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 way I was presenting the information, and I was like, do I want to go and add in who said these points because I could just have them in the backdrop and they, they, they make the, the, the point I want to make 
Or do I say, like, this came from Ted Kaczynski, and do I want to open up that can of worms? Like, do I want to bring bring that into an already kind of complex narrative? But And it's funny you bring it up to me. Well, and I'm, I'm glad we're getting into it, because I feel like this is an example of something we've maybe talked about in previous conversations and something that I think should be highlighted, where we see this internet culture sort of taking liberty with the information that a guy like Michael Hoffman, who didn't have the resources of the internet when he was doing this sort of journalistic work, at least to the capacity that we did maybe 10 years ago, not so much today, but you get my point. You know, people kind of take this information and fit it into their box, their perspective. And I, I was really, like I said, kind of pleasantly surprised and refreshed to hear his opinion and his perspective on it, being that he was so close to everything that happened, you know, on the ground, so to speak, in Montana when all that went. And he had a lot of critique, or not a lot, they didn't spend a, a whole bunch of time talking about it. It's, it's a 60-minute interview. But, yeah, it, it was really interesting to hear that perspective. He definitely had more of a critical perspective on Ted Kaczynski's writing, kind of saying that it was a lot of, a lot of stuff that was sort of prompted to him through the various experiments that he underwent, you know, Walk me through that. I, I, prompted to him? What do you mean by that? Well, like in the sense that maybe all a lot of the the ideas that he had that were original to him were then warped in a sort of manipulated sense through the you know, LSD experiments, whatever other experiments they were doing to him. So like Hoffman kind of sounded like he made the suggestion that, you know, this, this writing is not as it what he wasn't very lucid when he was writing all this stuff, so to speak, it was sort of maybe altered or, or tampered with his mind. Did he have a specific example of what he was talked of what he was talking about as being tampered? Like, like when Ted said this, you know, that's obviously... Like with the writings, like the Unabomber Manifesto, like he calls that into, like he, 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 I think Hoffman's suspicious of whether or not Kaczynski was really responsible for the full breadth of all of those. He's suggesting that Kaczynski was, it was a... A patsy, a scapegoat. A patsy. And, and then what and, was the purpose of, of the, of the manifesto? Of what was the per what did he say? What he thought the purpose was of introducing the manifesto into the collective consciousness. That no, I don't. I can't remember if they did. I can't remember, but right. I don't think that was the emphasis of the point. But he did mention. Or was he saying that that Ted Kaczynski wasn't the guy who who wrote it at all? Or is he saying it, it was? But it's tampered. I'm confused. This I'd be very interested. Now I'm curious about about this. Well, one, I definitely am going to interview Hoffman and bring it up, and hopefully he clarifies further. But there is that interview that I heard where you can hear straight from the horse's mouth. But paraphrasing, paraphrasing to the best of my ability, don't remember that they took that, per, that they, they went down that avenue, so to speak. It was more just showing how the government was sort of using Kaczynski as a sort of scapegoat, a patsy, a prop, just like we see with all the other sort of false, false flag or assassination type events. Oswald. Yeah. So, but, and the scapegoat part, he was hanging out at a place called Scapegoat Bar in Montana 
next to, I think, a farm or, or even like a mountain called Scapegoat Mountain or something like that. So there's that sort of James Shelby Downard mystical toponymy mm-hmm. that comes into play there as well. But yeah, I, I think he's suggesting like, you know, as much as the conspiracy community has taken his writings and ran with it, they're not as like pure as people who have run with it might like to think there's manipulation from the government, whether it was just in, uh, on the point of like messing with his mind so that when he wrote that he wasn't, you know, the same person he was when he was the brilliant professor or altogether the writings were written by someone else and then just put I, under that, his name. That, I would be very curious to hear him go more into it. Now I've not read all of the manifesto. I've, I've read a couple parts of it and then I have a general understanding, but I can't say for certain like like what else is in there. So be curious. I, I'm not a good person to to speak intelligently on it, but the stuff which I am familiar with, I'm like this makes a lot of sense to me. So I'd be curious to hear what Hoffman has to say about it. And I would even think I always thought it was my my take was it it by taking these ideas and linking it to the storyline of the Unabomber. It kind of works in the same way as, as, as labeling someone a conspiracy theorist. Like someone who does not want to be labeled a conspiracy theorist will not look at information which they know is conspiratorial. Mm. Like it's got a, it's got like a firewall built around it. That was the whole idea of, of the CIA coming up with that term was it would stop like middle of road people from going and peaking. Right. Like the, the peakers are going to peak no matter what. Like you can't stop those guys. But like the it's the battle for the the hearts and the minds of the middle folks. So I'm wondering if that's what he was getting at, or if he's saying like, no, there's like other stuff. I'd be, I'm I'm very curious. Yeah, well, I think but it fits my, my into guess- his overall sort of like everything is a part of the sort of mystical narrative, the theater of the video drone, you know, or drone. Right, but that's the whole purpose of the Kaczynski writings was like. This is a video drone, and this it's all from the technology, and we need to get away from it. Hmm. Okay. I see what you're so saying. That's, yeah. That's so that's why I'm like, well, like, yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm a little bit, I'm, is there more to the Kaczynski stuff? Because I know just like, I know the Cliff Notes version. Right. And well, but coming from Hoffman, you know, given that his, at least his writings in Secret Society and Psychological Warfare reflects the Unabomber's work in, in a couple ways, it's like, yeah, it does make you wonder, you know, why he has the criticism for for Kaczynski's material like that. Because, yeah, it definitely felt like he was calling it into question, suggesting possibly it was tampered with. Well, I would also say this, and this isn't just like your your uncle at the Thanksgiving t- day uh, Thanksgiving Day table saying that, right? Like, like Hoffman definitely read it a hundred times. Right. Like, I he, mean, he talked he, to the guy himself. So, yeah. He talked to the guy himself. So, it's like, this is an opinion I would have listened to. Right. Like, that doesn't mean you necessarily agree with it, but I'm like, this is this is someone who's got a lot of, there, there's a lot of salt to the words which they use, which he uses. Right. So some weight and, and these are these are the kind of conversations I, I want to be having, you know, as much as I love talking to, you know, guys like, my age who do like I do swap casts with and stuff. It's like, you know, and Sam says this a lot. It's like, you know, the people that are at that age, 
60 and up have so much wisdom. And I'm not trying to age Hoffman. I'm not sure how old he is, but if he was old enough to, to be, you know, a kid when Kennedy was assassinated, then, you know, then that meant he was probably bit, let's say he was born in 1952. So fit 48 plus 22 is 70. Right. So, and this is, the, you know, these are the kind of conversations that I'm being pulled to, you know, getting to, talk to these people, you know, getting back to our earlier conversation, you know, like the, the kid who's fascinated with his grandfather, you know, like we're kind of like doing the same dynamic here with these people. And I say that because, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure how, if you heard the news, but Jordan Maxwell passed away last week. I did hear that. So, you know, big, big figure in the community. I, I know people who have been on my podcast, as a matter of fact, who, I've spoken to Maxwell and had them had him on their podcast. So it's definitely a, a sad week there, but you know, more, all the more impetus for guys like us to reach out to the folks like Peter shampoo, particularly you know? guys like you, because you, you translate to your generation and to a younger generation. Like you're, you, you, you relate very well to, to, to me, to, probably, you know, Shampoo and Hoffman, and then you can bring that, you seemingly are in a good position to be that bridge. And it's, it's really cool to watch. You Thank know you. who you need to get after Hoffman? Tell if me. I were to, if I were, Goro Adachi. Goro Adachi, okay. You know who Goro Adachi is? No. If I recall, I'll just tell you the name of his website. And this website is from, he's been putting it out, and it it's like, I don't know, probably the early 2000s. So his website is called Super Torch Underground Ritual. Okay. Like, just imagine the sort of stuff he's talking about, right? Super Torch Underground Ritual. He's got, he's talking about this before, like anyone knew, like, what do you mean underground rituals? Like, this, like, no one, like, only, he, what I'm trying to make is, he is another one of these grandfather characters, right? And he's got a he's got a different take. He's very he's much more so about utilizing synchronicity and and patterns for predictions, right? But he would be a great guy to have one too. And I think he I think I could be totally wrong, but I, I think he's kind of ordinary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it'd be great with that. I can imagine him being difficult for wanting to come on. That's what I'd want to hear as a listener. All right. But I could, but like, like to have Hoffman and then to have Goro Adachi, David Ike. I mean, you're, you're, you're crushing it. Thank I you. Mean, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm adding in Goro Adachi like he's even, like we, like he's coming on, but I've got, I've got confidence. I'll do my best. Can I tie a ribbon on that fraternity thing real quick? And, Oh, connect yeah, some dots because yes, I'm yes. surprised I never told you about this. Okay. So it was very much like an animal house type of fraternity, like everything you saw in that movie, because the story is they were founded September 2001 was when this was for, uh, founded. And within the first year of them being a fraternity, they were, basically thrown under the bus by the the rival fraternity and kicked off campus. They and were they had a rival fraternity and only were around for one year? Yes. Yes. Wow. 
very they made you know big impact <laughs> they had uh you know big impact on the campus but yeah so they they were basically kicked off of the official greek life sort of thing i wasn't a part of this school keep in mind and yeah they existed underground for many years far before i was old enough to even be aware but then one day you know i'm just sort of hanging around at this chinese food delivery place that i worked at and my buddy mike comes in as a matter of fact he was the second guest on my podcast episode too and he comes in mike at the time yeah, I knew Mike for almost seven or so years at that point since middle school. Oh, so you must have known him very well. Yeah, so Mike and I were, were friends to some degree, but he was the only person I had ever really known to talk about conspiracy theories at that age. Like I had, I was aware and I was interested, but nobody ever talked about it in public, you know. He was like talking about things like 9-11. So this guy, you know, although we weren't best friends or anything, I did like have this sort of like uh, connection yeah. with him that was rare. So he came in and, and carried that weight and told me about this place. And I had heard about it before from another friend who was a part of it. But it just, you know, everything that I had learned about the stereotype of what a frat was, I'm like, that's not me. That's not my life. I don't drink. I don't like that type of thing. So... But when Mike invited me, it, it felt like a different sort of uh, vibe. So I'm like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And and the you know the the first words I get from an official person in the group is like, you're entering the rabbit hole, you know. And like it's all shrouded in secrecy and whatnot. And they would probably get mad at me for even saying as much as I've already said. But considering the respect I have for the silly, you know, sort of oath that we all took to keep things secret, I don't think these details are all that bad to share. But they're just interesting connecting to, you know, my relationship now as like someone who researches Skull and Bones. Because at that time, they had their kind of claim to like, infamy was that they had stolen a jolly roger flag from the skull and bones fraternity because keep in mind this is a fraternity in the same town as skull and bones right so and in one of the parts of our sort of initiation ritual so to speak we were like led down the street past their their tomb sort of to impress upon us like the significance of what we were a part of, although it wasn't, uh, maybe you guys have a, have a tomb like building. No, no. We had like a very cool house that had a couple bedrooms and an awesome basement. Just kick ass is great place to, to hang out, but no, no, no. It was just like the, those few little like things. And it, what was interesting is like, you could see maybe how those like root, like the routine of like, well, this is what we do. Like they had lost the sort of value in the short time that I had been there, you know, from when they had started. Because they kind of took us by the skull and bones tomb like, yeah, here, look at this. You know, like there wasn't a lot of, like I said, you know, Mikey being an exception, there it was kind of rare even amongst those people to talk about conspiracy theories and whatnot. But there was that kind of like, oh, yeah, Skull and Bones, they're like a big, bad, deadly fraternity, and we, we got one over on them. you know. So it was more of like a macho thing than like a 
interest in anything conspiratorial. But yeah, there was that sort of association and being the guy I was, I was just like fascinated by that. And uh, I would always tell the younger guys as much as I could about them and like, you know, them being skull and bones because I'm like, well, shit, you know, we should, we should actually talk about this. We're kind of like somewhat of a benign version of what they are, you know? So yeah, it was just kind of interesting in hindsight, like being there and, you know, we had like a, <laughs> well, now I'm giving too many details away, but the address was 322. So there's even down to like that, like the house that we stayed at. Uh, was three twenty two. So very, wow. yeah, very interesting you got, synchronicities. You, you, you got, you got <laughs> some deep. You got, you got some history with skull and bones. And that's 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 why recently, like, kind of looking around, I'm like, well, you know, it seems like besides Anthony C. Sutton and a couple other like more journalistic types, there aren't a lot of conspiracy authors that have tackled the subject that I'm aware of. So I'm kind of I'm at a point where I'm either hoping someone will be like, no, this guy dummy and send me somebody new or, or I'm just going to take up the research myself regardless. And, uh, and write the book. Well, book something. Yeah. I think maybe something like a little more easy to sure. tackle like a pamphlet, but yeah, start with something. Well, cause considering what I'm doing with the, the tour, I think it would be cool if I, you know, as I continue doing it, if I had something that I can give to people who come along for the tour, I mean, really I would model it sort of after what you have for the rights of the 40th parallel in the sense of like the actual, what it is like, you know, a sort of, I don't know the proper term to describe it. I think we talked about this before, but sort of like a sturdy magazine sort of book, you know, not like a, a full hardcover book, but like a paperback book, you know, hmm. something. I think that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And something, something that, you know, touches on their history, touches on some of the esoteric significance. Maybe I even get you to input your thoughts on the Kobe ritual, uh, <laughs> cite you in there, who knows? But I think that's definitely something as a podcaster I can do to maybe, um, oh, make I think the that rounds would be kind of and, fun. That would be fun. That would be fun with, with the Kobe thing. I forgot with John Hines. Yeah. Right. Well, and then also I, I wanted to ask you about, you know, if you had any time to look into the Daniel Gilman stuff and his connection to John Hopkins now that you're down there in Baltimore. But yeah, I could, I can't read it. That was too small to read on my phone. Okay, I'll I'll figure out. So I have you a, email that to me, then I could see it on a computer. But the, you texted it to me, and I can't see it on the phone. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that then. Because I thought you said it was nine pages too. You sent me two pages. Yeah, I I counted two chapters as one when gotcha. we were when I was flipping through. I counted. Gotcha. Chapter. I just want to make sure that's the full down because I'm definitely interested. Yeah, no, uh, it ended up being only like three or so pages. So yeah, we're we're we're, we're and it's funny we're bringing up John Hopkins because this kind of came up in the conversation yesterday was was just how Johns Hopkins is involved for the irony that it's it's literally surrounded by rings and rings of amazingly horribly sick people who are whose sickness came through through just society right like literal zombies same like, thing with and, new haven uh, yeah so so 
talking about like this house and 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 what we call it, and we're joking, but we're being serious. Is you know this is the real mental hospital. This is the real mental hospital right here. And the reason why we're saying that is is what's his name Nietzsche Nietzsche. You know Frederick Nietzsche, Nietzsche, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know how he checked himself into a mental hospital, and he lived out his days in the mental hospital. Right. I think at, before he checked into the mental hospital, he was like put on display. He would like sit in a meditation posture, and people in town would come and like look at him. And so, and he had friends who would come and visit, and and. We started asking, like, well, what was the purpose? Like, thinking about what a mental institution looks like, like right now in your imagination, what you think what a mental institution looks like. Like, it does, it, it does at least for me, like, it, it's not a positive connotation. It's not quite jail, but it's a different type of jail. Haunted with ghosts. <laughs> and, I mean, just in terms of the amount of freedom and the life, the, the, right. the quality of life and stuff like that. The real mental hospitals would be for people who need to literally be away from from the the sickness of society, and they could come to a place where they literally can relax in the most beautiful environment you can, and there's nothing to worry about because the one thing we know about the natural world, when left to rest, it fixes itself. Well, well, just in general, the body does that. The atmosphere does it. Chernobyl did that. The smog over in Beijing did that during COVID. Like intermittent fasting shows how the body does that when it's the rest and digestion. Like that's the nature of our of our reality. And so when you have nothing to worry about, but not like a resort, because it tied into something else, like how how that is where like that's the true mental hospital. The mental hospital is where you just come and and you you're you're literally at ease. And so we're laughing about that compared to we're in a house we're in a house in the hood with no heat, and this is like the premier mental hospital. Meanwhile, you got Johns Hopkins like five miles away from here in their their spectacular glass buildings, and they're the the preeminent medical institution in 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 America and. It's nothing but, but sickness and farce. Right. So we, that was kind of the conversation last night. Kind of hmm. Well, there's definitely yeah. that yeah. contrast that follows the Bonesmen, where, you know, with Yale particularly, it's not quite the insane, as insane as Baltimore, but it's definitely, it's definitely, you, you know. New Haven? Yeah, the surrounding area is definitely hard living for the people that are there. You know, it's a lot of, it's big contrast, you know. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine. But, yeah. So, so, Uncle, so, so we're just about at two hours, Uncle Mark. Is there any, Uncle Mark, <laughs> uh, is there anything else? Is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? No, no. You know, we've gotten maybe like three or four emails over the past a couple weeks or so. So, Big shout out and thank you to everybody who sent us messages. I think maybe next next time we, we get together, maybe we can visit those emails and, and check them out. See, I'll send them over to you. I'll forward them to you. Because there's a lot of connections, you know. People love to tell us, you know, where the synchronicities are happening for them. And, and it usually connects to 
some deeper information. One example, our friend Kent Woods, he was a, a guest on my show once, a Patreon supporter. He was researching into this local sheriff nearby where he lives who, you know, the legend is that he kept the county at peace with his voodoo powers for 40 years. This sheriff who is also like a voodoo guy, you know, trained in the ways of voodoo. This like, I think it's called the Gulagichi is like the, the subculture. And it's people that live in the sort of low country in the South, the sort of Southeast coastal area. And, and yeah, I, I found that fascinating. Kent and I might do an, an episode on that. And it kind of also is reminiscent of what I was looking into with the Mardi Gras culture, which is kind of fascinating. There's this whole Mardi Gras culture that's like, it, it's it's sort of indigenous plus African plus Caribbean, plus, you know, all these different sort of, I guess, oppressed cultures, for lack of a better word, kind of resonating with that energy of the Native American. Like they have all these Native American names that they go under and, and they do these sort of like Mardi Gras parades you know how everybody has their own float there's this whole secret society culture around you know the groups that put their floats out you know each float is made by a different group and they all have their own like sort of little secret society kind of vibe similar to skull and bones you know it all kind of evolved at that time period where that sort of thing was fashionable you know joining a club having an initiation you know, being a part of some sort of exclusivity, but the Mardi Gras thing, yeah, it's something I just only scratched the surface of, but there's a lot of interesting connections. Mobile, Alabama has sort of like this like synonymousness with like mysticism, right? Mobile mystics were the first Mardi Gras group in, I think, I think ever, and then two people left that group and went to New Orleans and kind of carried the culture to that spot where it became, you know, sort of more popular. And now it, people know Mardi Gras for being in New Orleans, but it actually started in Mobile, Alabama. Hmm. I did not know that. So, so yeah, all kinds of stuff. Let, let's go and, and look at the emails next time. But this was a fascinating conversation. I hope everybody could follow it to the end and you made it this far. So go check out what Mike has going on. He recently moved his online, I guess, storefront, so to speak, or his online presence to Alt Media United. So check out his Alt Media. It, it, it's not, I have, we got to talk about that. I've been working on it, but okay. that's what's happening. But it's so there. It's, it's still there. I mean, the that's version there, is there now well and that that's that's another one of the that's another example of what i'm for me is one of the the life hacks being able to move through the system with less and less work i i've offloaded to you mark like i'm putting my domain name or the 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 domain susquehannaalchemy.com which used to be on a website which i managed and had to deal with all of that sort of crap i'm like what i can just go and put it point it to what you've created which is really all i need to do and I'm figure still need to figure out the functionality of what I want to do with it, but then all of a sudden that's more streamlined for me. I'm glad we can help like out. That, that that used to be something which you know it was it was it was it was one more touch on the internet that I that it's 
that I was able to prune away. So I'm grateful for that. And I see that is like, you know, that's part of what I was talking about before. It's like figuring out these ways in which we minimize and minimize touches with the dying system and then maximize it touches outside of it. Right. And, you know, big shout out to all the podcasters who are part of Alt Media United because that's, you know, a big way for, you know, this newer podcast to be discovered. You know, the guy Dave who showed up, he listened to our show through hearing you on the Higher Side Chats. You know, he's very familiar with you from your appearances on the Higher Side Chats. And I think Alt Media United is a really cool way for, you know, folks to not only maybe see us, you know, and, and find us from listening to a bigger show like the higher side chats, but then also see like, Oh wow, these guys are kind of united in this sense, you know, it kind of gives us more. I thought, it, I think it's the coolest thing. Like when you go to the, to, when you first go to all media United's website and you see the image of all of the different podcasts, the artwork, yeah. of, the different, of their artwork and you just get a feel like, I mean, I, <laughs> sorry, I don't listen to anything, but if I were to, there was once a time I listened to everything, but like, you know, I just stopped putting stuff in my head. Um, like that would be, that would be such an amazing tool. Like the, it's been vetted a little bit just by being there and you get to go and see all of these, these people, like other different types of podcasts, which maybe you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be exposed to. Right. Like almost, it doesn't have the, the, the algorithm of, of YouTube, but once upon a time, YouTube really did recommend very good videos, right? Right, and we are reaching the mainstream outlet. Alex Stein, Conspiracy Castle host, member of Alt Media United, was recently interviewed on Tucker Carlson on Fox News. <laughs> so, are you serious? So, I'll I'll email you the the video. It's it's very funny. Alex is doing great work, great work. So, oh, that's fantastic. Hats off. So, but anyways, thank you so much, folks, for listening to your handbook for the apocalypse. Go and support Mike and myself by uh, checking out altmediaunited.com. Anyways, that's all for this episode.